This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly digest of all things food, drink and travel. My name's Laura Rowe, I'm the editor, basically my name's above the door at this gaff, and each week the team and our special guests share their foodie insights with you. This week we speak to the incredibly talented food writer Olia Hercules on why Eastern European food has a lot more to offer than dumplings and borscht. Charlotte, our web editor, and I discuss her latest foodie adventures on the Italian island of Sardinia. And the cookery team are back to talk about the do's and don'ts of freezing. So make yourself comfortable, put on the kettle, and let's see what the team have to say. First up, we have Janine, our food editor, speaking to one of our favourite food writers. We've got her lovely recipes in our October issue, Olia Hercules. So today we're talking to Olia Hercules. Um, we've got some gorgeous recipes in the October issue from Olia um, she first came to our notice last year when her book Mamushka was published and it went ballistic um, in the charts. Everybody loved it. And she's bringing Ukrainian food to a whole new audience. So welcome, Olya. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> um, could you give people an idea of, of what, what to expect from Ukrainian food? Because I know that um, there's a preconception that it's it's quite um, heavy and, you know, um, wintry and a lot of kind of you know, root veg, but I think you've, you've managed to bust that myth, haven't you? I, I hope so. Uh, but, you know, it's it's not just Ukrainian um, food, it's, it's Eastern European food. Everybody just puts it into one kind of yeah. category, but actually it's within each country even. It's very regional. Um, so depending on where we are, whether we are by the sea or in the mountains, even Ukrainian cuisine yeah. changes drastically. Um, I happen to be from the south of Ukraine, where it's it's a big melting pot. Yeah. So we've got influences not just from Ukraine and from the environment, but also from other countries. So we've got a, there's, for example, a um, a lamb broth in in Mamushka with loads of herbs like coriander, dill. And um, um, some something else I can't remember now. All, <laughs> okay. all, of the, all of the kind of fresh herbs that you yeah. can imagine. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, and I think it's based on a, on a recipe from Caucasus. Oh, really? Well, being so close to Crimea, we've got loads of um, yeah. like a big community of Tatars there as well. So you know, there's all of these Turkic influences. Odessa, um, a Ukrainian city in the south, you know, by the Black Sea, is only an hour away flight from mm. Turkey. Um, so there's, it, it's a big crossroads. So it's it's really varied. Because we were talking before, weren't we? Before we started about how um, how as recipe writers we tend to kind of nick a little bit from everybody and then turn it into our own recipe. Because that's how you know we, we're gatherers. We just we're always gathering ideas. So for you, having all those influences must be a real gift. Exactly. And um, just you know, people sometimes ask me where where do you get your inspiration? But actually, my biggest inspiration just comes from people that I meet. So yeah. whenever I'm in a you know in a new country or whether I'm or in Ukraine, I just go to people's houses and yeah. just 
talk to housewives really or women you know yeah. and or, or men and they tell me recipes and then I go oh oh my god this is amazing <laughs> and I do you know I just tweak it slightly or yeah or get inspired mm-hmm. and, and do something else like I did with the recipes in in this in October how is your memory do you use a notebook or do you talk down in your iPhone I, I, I tend to use my iPhone it's just full of little <laughs> little random um sentences that don't actually mean yeah. anything like great pie pastry you know, <laughs> I, I do exactly the same yeah. thing with my iPhone but also I've got this moleskin which is now yeah. full and you know it's got things on the side and oh it just doesn't make sense I really need to get a new notebook <laughs> and when you came to write the recipes for Olive because there's some there's some beautiful stuff in there um we obviously it's um it's our October issue so it's very autumnal one of the things I, I was really fascinated about was things like using nuts to thicken sauces but again like nuts are quite autumnal aren't they so it's everything kind of links in quite naturally what sort of influences did you bring to those recipes from from say the eastern europe so the um thickening things with nuts is a very georgian thing okay. so the, the republic of georgia which is you know georgia is kind of uh, near Turkey and um, and Azerbaijan, but it, it's got loads of Iranian influences yeah. as well as it was part of Persia mm-hmm. uh, a long time ago. So um, yeah, they just they love thickening sauces like meat sauces. Yeah. Like um, they have a stew called harcho, oh. and they use walnuts and they blitz it with loads of onions and garlic, and and then you, and then use it to thicken this beautiful beef soup. So I've kind of used that technique in, two, got, in yeah. two of the recipes, actually. Yeah, we've got a braised chicken with hazelnut and chilli paste, and it, it, the sauce is just so rich and deep and like, gorgeously brown. And then you've also got um, these really lovely lamb chops with a kind of almost pickily spiced um, grapes. Where did that come from? So in Azerbaijan, they absolutely love pickling fruit, pickling, <laughs> using it and using it as, um, um, you know, just like any other pickle, like yeah. a pickled cucumber or something so they so they pickled cherries in in vinegar and and salt and um and a little bit of sugar and they serve it with meat so that you know fruit and meat and using fruit in a savory way is um is a thing that's very popular in Caucasus and I really I fell in love with that and pickles are like so trendy now I mean if you go to a lot of restaurants in London everyone's pickling, preserving, fermenting. Yeah. And I think in your book, Mamushka, you've got a whole uh, chapter on that, haven't you? So I it's something, have. obviously, that you're quite interested in too. It's a, it's a big tradition and I, I, it was just so, you know, when it all became a big trend, it, it, yeah. it just seemed so funny to me, but in a good way, I was so pleased. Because you've had it forever. You've been, you're like, I've been doing this forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in a way, but it's... Um, but it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I hope that this it's not just a trend, though, and that it, it catches on and people discover it and, and enjoy it because apparently it's also healthy. We didn't even know that it was healthy. Yeah. When I was growing up, we just fermented stuff because we needed to because we didn't have supermarkets with, you know, fresh cucumbers yeah. and horrible, you know, tomatoes in winter. <laughs> Everything was so seasonal. Yeah. So we just used the grandmother's techniques of preserving vegetables and we had cellars and we'd just have all of these fermenting kind of barrels of things, including things like what? watermelons you know we ferment anything that <laughs> that we grow pretty you, much you've also got a recipe which i which i loved actually for the very neglected vegetable the marrow um <laughs> because i think everyone thinks of marrow as these big watery things that you kind of um you know you hollow them out you stuff them with something you bake it and then everyone just sits around <laughs> looking at it going i'm not eating that it's, it's courgettes poor yeah. oversized cousin <laughs> yeah but um your your recipe bakes it with um potatoes and shallots and then you do this amazing thing in the end and i think you said in your recipe it's like sort of i don't think you called it 
Um, it's the smashing the herbs oh, and yeah, the garlic. Oh, yeah, that's it. Smashing the herbs and the garlic. So you get this massive punch of flavour. And it is literally um, fresh herbs and garlic that you're bashing together in a pestle and mortar. Yeah. And then you spread it over at the end and everything's raw. So you really yeah. do get like a smack in the face, basically. <laughs> you do. I love, I love recipes like that. Great. It's kind of a combination of my gra- my grandmother's recipe for a, a potato and courgette stew that she used to make yeah. and the Georgian technique where they basically yeah that's what they do just smash loads of fresh herbs and garlic and stir it through stews at the end yeah, which just adds, to give it that real yeah. kind of zing of flavor and you're quite a big fan of vegetables aren't you I am I, I really am again yes. that's quite trendy now you know <laughs> to love the veg but uh, you've like you said you've always done it yeah and again my, my grandparents you know they they had um, kind of goats and a cow so if you can imagine, you know, and during Soviet Union, meat and things were expensive and, you know, you wouldn't yeah. want to buy anything. It probably would be quite horrible as well. So they, so meat was a treat, yeah. really. So I'm not I'm not vegetarian, but I would eat vegetables most, most of the week That's and then I'd have really good quality meat, but as a kind of once once a week or something. So when you when you first came up with the idea of, um, you know, pitching this Eastern European cookery book. How did editors react to that? Because at the time, it wasn't really a kind of on the on people's radar, was it? That, that whole way of cooking. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. To be honest with you, I didn't really pitch anything. It was really they came after you. It was well, I, I, there were just a couple of. I started writing for Guardian Cook. Oh yeah, of course. They were really open to letting new kind of writers you know giving them a voice so I had a couple of recipes there and then an agent spotted them and then it just all went from there to be honest so it wasn't even in my wildest dreams any of this no (laughs) I did not pursue it it just kind of happened why do you think that it said it just hit a nerve with everybody because as we said it became a really best-selling book so I uh, I, hopefully people thought the recipes were good and and the stories that came with them as well Mm. because they were all real stories there's a lot lot of storytelling in there there's a lot of brilliant pictures of your family in there all in the kitchen sleeves rolled up cooking but also because um as we, we just mentioned things like fermentation seasonality and really good produce have become kind of a big thing here and that just goes hand and you know that's just how we lived so it just all came together so maybe and I think there's real there's real heart behind as you said there's a story behind it which and which you know that means there's real heart in there as well and I think people can connect to that it's not just you're you're not just throwing a recipe out there you're throwing out a whole story around that recipe and I think it makes people feel a bit more connected to you as well sure I hope so (laughs) (laughs) so I know that you you do like to travel don't you tell me tell me about anywhere recently you've been to that's foods like really connected with you you know maybe something now that you're because we were talking about you know cherry picking from different cuisines I mean, have you eaten anything or travelled anywhere recently that you you know you're going to use in the future, like bring that to bear in your recipes? Um, You know what? Well, I went to Bulgaria actually this summer for a holiday with with my son and my parents and... um, and it was incredible, but again, very, very simple food with mm. um, with kind of, um, you know, Turkish influences in a way, quite similar to Serbian. Um, but again, it was all kind of produce-led. Yeah. And the tomatoes that I talk about in, in my book, you know, the huge pink 
kind yeah. of beautiful beasts, they have them as well. And I, I may have smuggled a, a, a box of them in my suitcase. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is it illegal to bring them? Is it, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I call it smuggling. Yeah, it probably no, no, isn't. No, no, no. But I mean, it's such a simple thing as what they call Shopsky salad. I've, I've been making that recently. Like even this week, I maybe made it three times. Yeah, Shopsky is a great word. Shopsky salad. It's pretty much very similar to Greek salad, okay. but they, they kind of grate loads of carrot and uh, finely chopped cabbage as well into it and loads of dill and then they grate the feta well oh, they call wow. it brinza they call the cheese brinza and do they delicious. toss everything together so uh, it gets that yeah yeah and then so so the feta kind of is just oh. you know all through it and yeah it's that delicious. sounds like something you could go off today and make as well because with this oh, one so hot it's ridiculous <laughs> 30, 30 degree heat can today we talk some more it's really nice and cool here <laughs> um i wanted to ask you because i like asking people this um what your desert island dish would be if you could have one one thing that you might have to eat on a desert island over and over again what would it be forever and ever and ever well, okay you know, there's until you get rescued <laughs> oh uh, you know what my my desert island dish is probably there's okay there's one there's my um kind of death row dish okay which is Vareniki, which is these uh, little dumplings stuffed <gasps> with salty cheese. I and love lots of dumplings. That's that's <laughs> kind of my thing, you know. So even though I say, oh, Ukrainian food is not just about dumplings, but actually, you know, this recipe is really, is really amazing. And I, I think it's just, you know, my mom used to make it when I came back after school. And How it's did, just something it a, that I would, yeah? every time my mom comes or I go to Ukraine, she knows. Yeah. She's like, Vareniki? I'm like, yes. <laughs> but if it was a desert island, so I'm imagining a bit hot. Uh, it would definitely be a version of this uh, courgette and potato uh, oh, thing. Yeah. So the original, my my, bab- so my babushkas. Keep it simple. Yeah, and and a piece of kind of really nice bread. And oh. that's it. That's all I need. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming in to chat to us. All of Olya's recipes are in this month's Olive Magazine. And they'll soon be online too. So head off to olivemagazine.com and check them out. Thanks, Olya. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Next up, we have Charlotte, our web editor, talking about her wonderfully foodie holiday in Sardinia. Right, so I am fresh from a holiday too. I've just come back from Corfu, but Charlotte was away last week as well, and you've just been to Sardinia. So Charlotte's our web writer, and uh, yeah, you had a good time by the sounds of it. Yes, I did. We were in the east part of Sardinia, near Oliana and Dorgali, that kind of region. Okay. It was very mountainous there. And we had some exquisite food. It was just brilliant, especially at the hotel we stayed at. You don't usually eat at the hotel because mm. you usually go out and explore, yeah. don't you? But the food at this particular hotel, which is called Sue Gologon, if you wanted to Google it, <laughs> it was just outstanding. Oh, so really? we actually wow. ended up eating there pretty much every night, bar one. Oh my goodness, that's a really um, good sign, isn't it? Because I, I know you like to explore when yes, you're in there. Yes, and lunch there three times as well. Wow. It was seriously... Oh my goodness. Like, incredible. Okay. Mainly because of the pasta, because it's all ham, it's all handmade, obviously, and the mm. kitchen there is just constantly going yeah. from 6am until gone midnight. Wow. Because they, they're serving all sorts of food all throughout the day. Mm. Um, but one of the nicest things we had, and something that they bring out at the beginning of every single meal, is even available at breakfast, was um, a type of bread called pane carazao. Sorry for pronunciation if that's wrong. But it's basically flatbread, but it's extremely thin. 
Okay. And very crispy. It's a little bit like a poppadom, but flat and not okay. as fatty. Okay. So they bake it twice to make it really, really crispy. Great. And it's just, the recipe is donkey years old because they used to bake it for the shepherds who would go out and not come back for a very long time. So they needed something that would last. Okay. Uh, so it's very simple. It's just made from wheat bran, salt, yeast, and water. And they actually uh, showed you at this particular hotel um, people making it. So you could go and watch them make it before eating it. And I mean, that's that's a good that's thing, dream. isn't it? Yeah. It was. It was just wonderful. So how do you eat those? Do you just snack well, them or do you dip them? You I know, wasn't too sure. Uh, so we just did our own thing and just <laughs> we'd we'd start every meal with them and eat them like crisps almost but mm, we'd dangerous. also yeah, yeah. we ate so many different <laughs> things we also used it to mop up any leftover pasta sauce i'm Great not entirely idea. sure you're supposed to do that i would say you know as long as it tastes good that's the main thing yes this is true but <laughs> i didn't see anybody else doing it <laughs> starting a new um, trend that's what yes. we're all about here at olive so yes, yeah you true. heard it here first and uh, or they do drizzle them with olive oil a lot and extra salt. Great. Which I, I'm not sure that's quite as authentic, but, you know, who wouldn't? Again, it sounds like <laughs> great additions to a really good, good. Yeah. But I really miss that already because we did have it at least twice every single day. It is like an everyday thing. Yeah. It's just second nature to put a basket of it out. Presumably a lot lighter than a traditional uh, bread basket as well because yes. I had to start restraining myself on my holiday because we'd get these big baskets of, you know, thick slices of white bread yes. and I'd be slathering either <laughs> butter on, which isn't very Greek at all, no. or be dipping it into terramisolata or... Yes. That is uh, also tzatziki. good. I mean, it, I'm not complaining, but I had to limit myself, but I can only have two slices of bread yes. max. Well, that's impressive. But, yeah. but this isn't so much a problem because no. it's, so, it's just so thin. It's, it's yeah. paper thin. In fact, the other word for it is carta musica, which means sheet music yeah. because it is that thin. It's like Fantastic. the thinness of parchment. And it does take, you, it's just a kind of thing which you can tell takes great practice and skill to be able to make yeah. it so that was brilliant and of course as i said the pasta there's a particular type of pasta there called fregala fregola okay uh, which you can actually buy i think i saw it in m&s in their fancy section and it's, it's always good to head to their fancy section always, yeah, yeah i love the fancy section at m&s <laughs> and it's um basically really small balls of pasta mm. um it's a bit like it, it giant couscous or something yeah. it's got the same um sort of density of pasta but it's very very small okay. and it's just something different yeah. to what you'd usually have so how did they serve that they served that well almost all the passages that we had they were vegetarian because of course they have that as their preemie course right. before meat or fish mm-hmm. so you'd have the pasta first yeah. and then separately you'd have meat and fish and then a vegetable on the side okay um, so almost all the pasta was vegetarian and they'd serve it with the vegetables that they were cooking in their vegetable garden, which you could also go and see. Great. They did a, a fennel pasta, which was one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. My goodness. We had that three times. My goodness. It was just what brilliant. It's what, what, three, four ingredients for each pasta okay. dish. But, so, but because they were so, the, the quality of ingredient was so mm. good because it's so sunny there yeah. and everything gets sweet because of that yeah it's just nothing beats it yeah in fact i think i remember reading that um one of the women who set up river cafe i can't remember which one it was she was on desert island discs and um she was asked what your f- if you could just eat one thing for the rest of your mm. life what would it be and she said just pasta pomodoro because oh. 
It's just if you get it right and mm. you've got the right ingredients and you're willing to stand there and let it cook for six hours, yeah, then it's just nothing beats it. And I really do think that because this is just you're this, a convert. This, yeah, yeah. I just think Italian food is brilliant because it just focuses so much on the ingredient. That's the thing. I think there's this misconception, though, when people say that Italian cuisine is so simple, and it is, but you have to have that foundation of really good quality ingredients yes. and understand how to use those simple ingredients in, in that certain way. Yes, I think it's, it can be difficult to replicate it in, in your own, that strength of flavour in yeah. your own. Of course, the fact that you're not on holiday outside <laughs> in 30 degrees. There, and, you know, two Aperol spritzes down. Yes, yeah, that does help. Yeah. But it, it's, yes, it's all, all about the ingredients, but they're just there's things that they've learned from their family and mm. which was just ingrained in them about how to cook the garlic and how thick you should cook the garlic and which olive oil to use for which pasta dish. Just things that are second nature, which I'm, I personally don't know about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I did try to ask as much as I could, but they didn't, there wasn't much English spoken. So, anyway, it was just brilliant. I mean, yeah, I'm hungry now. Is there anything else you had that kind of... Uh, well, they were also, despite the fact that sardines obviously in Ireland, uh, they, most of their food is land-based because they um, have a, a very long history of being um, attacked, basically, and conquered <laughs> yeah. by various, obviously not now, but mm. um, conquered by various groups of people. So I think it encouraged them to get what they could from inland mm. so there's a lot of meat we saw a lot of suckling pig which they just roast Great. on an open fire yeah which Dreamy. is part of the entertainment of it okay so that was roasting almost every day at this hotel we were Gosh. at and um cheese they make a lot of cheese and we had a lot of sheep's cheese okay just interesting so many sheep there it's just, um which was called salso it's basically salted sheep's cheese and it's like pecorino okay and they just would some of the vegetable sides would just be tomatoes um, sliced thickly and just covered in this cheese. Great. And it was he acted almost like saltwood or olive mm. oil wood, just yeah. as a flavour enhancer. Yeah. So that was just natural to put. I don't think there was anything that didn't come with that yeah. on top yeah. because it just brought out the flavours. So that was really nice. And I don't know where you can get that here because I'd really like to get some. We'll look into that. I'm sure yeah. there must be some specialist Italian website that we can yes. track down. So yes. <laughs> that's so, our homework. <laughs> I'd really like to try that again. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. What about any of the drinks? Did you try anything special? Yes. Um, we tried this um, particular spirit, which was called Myrto, and it's um, I've not heard of that myrtle. Okay. Flavour of myrtle, so it's very fragrant and punchy. And there was I'm also, just thinking of Moaning Myrtle from, Moaning Harry, Myrtle, Pot- from yeah, Harry Potter. That, that's what I thought. No, it's nothing to do with her, strangely. No, but so sure it, it doesn't have that effect. No, no. no. Okay. Certainly not. Okay. But, uh, yes, that was really enjoyable. We should usually um, drink at the end of the meal. Um, and there was a lot of... There was limoncello as well. Uh, and the wine was good. I was just... The whole thing was brilliant, really. I couldn't recommend it more. I know. Well, I was very jealous. You came back from your holiday absolutely raving about it, didn't you? Yes. You were almost speechless. So I'm glad that you've, yes. you've regained said speech and have yes. recommended these amazing places for it's, us it's to go to. Especially that hotel. I think they just took their food really seriously. It sounds very special. Yeah. Yes, it was. And there was it was it was mainly Italians there, um, which was interesting because yeah. they obviously valued the food as well. Uh, but yeah it was just wonderful it's very laid back you didn't have to book a table you just turned it up when you wanted that sounds great and you know you could still be there at one in the morning and it'd be fine so great it was lovely 
Okay, well, mm. I know where I'm going next year. Excellent. I mean, I've got a long list. I keep saying right. this every time you guys tell me these amazing places. But um, if you guys are feeling inspired, inspired at home to go and try anywhere in Italy, we've got lots of great uh, Italian trips, uh, itineraries for Italian trips on olivemagazine.com, have. haven't yes, we, Charlotte, as well we as lots of easy Italian recipes to recreate at home, courtesy yes. of our lovely food team. So, yeah, check out olivemagazine.com uh, for lots more ideas. Okay, thanks, Charlotte. No problem. And last but certainly not least, we have our wonderful cookery team. We have Janine, our food editor, and Anna, our cookery writer, on the freezing do's and don'ts, as well as plenty of tips for making the most of yours. So I'm here with Anna Olive's cookery writer, and we're talking about a piece in the news this week, which said that we've been defrosting food wrong. Um, Who knew? Basically, um, it says that by taking it out of the freezer and putting it in the refrigerator, it's not the most efficient way to do it and that what we should be doing is putting it in bags and putting it in water. Is that right, Anna? Yeah, running cold water Straight over it in a bag. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that it might be um, better because it might defrost it quicker. Quicker, yeah. But it's not more efficient, is it? <laughs> there are a few pros and cons, I think, <laughs> with this idea. Um, one being the wastage of water and the use of plastic that's true um but i think because of the cold water it sort of takes the cold out of the food a lot quicker so it does defrost but there are a few issues with it as well so a few a few websites have also suggested to actually just run cold water over the food itself yeah i don't wouldn't be um especially for what if what if it was like a massive joint of ham or something yeah. it'll take you three days and also i feel like washing you just wash the flavor away yeah as well, exactly so feels a bit counterproductive so we're, we're saying um norwegian scientists fair play but we're not we're not buying no. it but um, it did get us off chatting about freezing because um, we do a regular freezing slot in Olive Magazine and um, me and Anna are both. I, I was quite late to the freezing game and now now I'm really, really adopted it as one of my things. And you've got to write a column every month about freezing. So you've got quite a lot of um, good freezing advice. Haven't yeah, you? we've got a freezer filler section. Yes. So you've learned a lot over the, the yeah. past couple of years. I think the most useful thing that I've learned from doing the freezer fillers is the amount that you can actually freeze. I right. mean, there are things like just just blocks of cheese that I'd never thought of okay. uh, freezing. Would you before. freeze it in a block or would you grate it first? In a block, because it, okay. so, it when it when you defrost it, it sort of crumbles, so you probably wouldn't eat it in a sandwich. No. But for cooking, it's great. So over cheese sauces and stuff, it's great if the supermarket's got a two for one offer or something. Yeah. And you know, you know, so you've got so you can freeze um, a block of cheese. And um, also like leftover wine is great. Just freeze it in little ice cubes. I'm sniggering at leftover wine. Um, is it a thing? <laughs> Not in my house. <laughs> um, the thing that's always in my freezer as well is milk and butter. Yeah. Just because of the things that you always seem to run out of. I... I've got a bit of thing about not freezing milk, mainly because I used to work with a photographer and every time I opened his freezer, there were 16 plastic bottles of milk in there frozen. <laughs> and it, re- it made me think, who needs this much milk? And, you know, it sort of really put me off the idea of freezing milk. But I can see, like, if you're... It's a great tip for a family that you yeah. can do that, and especially the butter thing, because I would have thought, oh, it produces crystals and it gets no. too... Yeah, it's no, perfect. It's, I've, got, I've got frugal freezing tips. I used to buy half-fat coconut milk in a tin, um, and half-fat coconut milk is exactly the same as full-fat, except it's just had 
Um, it's just got water added to it. So what I do is I buy full fat coconut milk, use half the tin for two people and add stock if I'm making like a Thai curry and then I freeze the rest in a little bag. Oh, that's and really And I think that's handy. a really good tip. It is. Um, and then I also do, again, because there's only two of us, if I'm making pizza and I just want enough sauce to, um, you know, make make a quick top and sauce, I'll freeze the rest of like a tin of tomatoes or, and I do actually use them. I'm not like one of those people that, that leaves stuff in there for six months. I do yeah. actually use them up. Um, I'll go in every week and have a look at what's in there and try and do something with it, which I think is a good tip. Yeah, but you've definitely. got some other great ones there, haven't you? Yeah, um, I think that the best thing is to keep on top of your freezer yeah. as well. So to know what's in there and mm-hmm. wrap things up really well to prevent freezer burn. And yeah, just labeling things, I yeah. think is a big is a big thing, but also you can freeze so everyone um it was it's been a, a thing for a while that everyone's been freezing egg whites, but you can also freeze egg yolks as okay. well, so if you're just making meringue and you've got egg yolks left over um and you're not making a hollandaise the next day or something, <laughs> if you freeze egg yolks, so if you add a pinch of uh salt to oh, them, it like breaks down the yeah, it, yeah, so they don't when you saw them they they don't turn. That sort of like jelly. What sort of, of recipes could you use those frozen egg yolks? I mean, could you bake with them? Um, yeah, you could do like a you could do like a curd, okay, or cool. you could do like an eggs benedict or something. So it nice. would make a hollandaise. I mean, yeah. it would be it would yeah, be stable yeah, enough. Yeah, be fine. That, that is a top tip. I didn't know anything about that. And the thing that I love about freezing is that sometimes it makes the flavour better. Oh. So I always think that bolognese and curries and stews and things always taste better after they've been. I definitely think that there's some kind of maturing process goes on in the freezer because what I do is I tend to freeze one week for the next. So say like this week I'm making a curry, I'll make double Mm -hmm. and I'll freeze it and then we'll eat it next week. And then the week after I'll I'll do it again. So so I'm continually turning over my freezer. So I definitely agree with the the curry thing. The the second one always tastes better. But maybe that's because you haven't stood over a stove and made it sure oh maybe I've always thought it's just because you know when it cools down the sort of the flavors yeah a bit, I think it's, it's probably a, true yeah. <laughs> it's been a bit longer sort of together also your labeling thing is um it made me laugh because I oh god I'm really guilty of not labeling stuff because I'm the, the cook in the family um and often I'll say to Matt can you take can you take the curry out of the freezer or can you take that tagine out of the freezer and you'll say which one is it yeah and then um I've had him sort of instant message me pictures of bags of food <laughs> and I'll be like it's the one with the slight yellowy tinge yeah, yeah that's the curry that's the curry <laughs> so I think labels are you know do do label it it takes five minutes yeah and, you know there is a few times you've I've had the pasta on to boil and I've actually had the chili con carne out or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole new dish. Yeah, it is. Um I've read some I read some interesting stuff today actually about and it, it was on the uh, food food standards agency because we wanted to check out this the um you know the credentials of this claim. And the reason why it is good to defrost when you're defrosting in the in the fridge overnight is is A, you can just put it on a plate, it defrosts slowly at a at a certain temperature. Yeah. It doesn't leak anywhere. It's the cross-contamination. Yeah, yeah it doesn't co- cross-contaminate with anything. Um and the other tip they had is to keep your freezer pretty full because the circulation of air uses more energy if you've got an empty freezer where if you've got full freezer um. it uses less circulation of and also um another amazing fact i found out was that if your freezer happens to break down if you leave the door closed 
it, the food should be safe for about 12 hours in there because oh, really? it should oh, stay good. frozen so you can oh it's you know, opening and closing to check yeah, if it's, yeah, if it's check, off or oh, not has it gone off yet yeah. so um so yeah that was good the, yeah the way that I defrost my food is put it in the fridge um the night the night before if it's meat and I actually do use I've got a microwave and I do use the defrost but not for meat because I just feel like it's 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 like seconds in a microwave between thawed and half cooked <laughs> and you just have to bin it so I think for vegetables and things it's fine mm. but I think essentially freezers are brilliant for um storing preventing waste and also like stopping us from spending far too much time in the kitchen just you know churning out stuff it's like the idea of cooking one meal but getting two or three out of it is, is brilliant yeah. so and I guess that that's the other thing is but when you're freezing, remembering to store in portions rather than one big block. Oh yeah, so you're not standing in the kitchen with your um, with your chef's knives trying to hack off a two two person sized portion of curry. <laughs> Another great tip for freezing for for this reason yeah. is if you freeze things separately. So if you're doing I don't know cookies or portions of fruit or oh, that yeah. sort of thing, if you freeze them on a baking tray separately, or you could even do it with meatballs. So if you freeze them separately yes. on, a, on a baking tray. So they don't all mush together. Yeah. yeah. So you freeze them separately on a tray and then you take them out and drop them into a bag. Yep. Yeah. And that saves loads of room as well, doesn't it? Does, it? Yeah. And then they don't all mush together in one big giant meatball yeah. bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Anna. There's absolutely millions of great tips there. Um, and check out Freezer Fillers by Anna every month in Olive magazine. Thanks very much. Thank you. Who knew the freezer was for more than fish fingers and vodka? Thank you for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. We'll be back next week as usual and every Friday with more top tips and inspiration for you. Remember, you can subscribe for free via Acast, iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. And if you have a spare two minutes, we'd be ever so grateful if you haven't already, if you could review and rate us to make sure as many wonderful people as possible get to listen to us. And if you've got anything to say about this week's podcast or any podcast for that matter, please make sure you tweet us, Facebook, Instagram. You can view us on Pinterest, YouTube. Google Plus and obviously lots more information on olivemagazine.com and remember the October issue is out in all good supermarkets and news agents right now. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>